Our Bible passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 34. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he, he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what would those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, <clears throat> what, have, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, thank you. Um, glad to see uh, everyone on this bright, uh, sunshiny day. Um, in an effort to uh, keep our minds and hearts more wrapped around the resurrection of Christ, uh, we embarked last week um, on a new sermon series in First in Corinthians 15. Uh, guiding our thoughts uh, is also a focus on discipleship. Right, something zeroed in on by Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 28 to 29, our church 2022 uh, 20, key verses. So uh, the relevant part, relevant phrase, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Right? That admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Uh, last Sunday we, we talked about um, teaching both in terms uh, of orthodox gospel content uh, and also um, a resurrection of sorts of the desire to learn, to teach uh, in a discipleship context. So I trust you recall my mentioning of um, hopefully a resurrectionary impact that Easter should have upon us. Today, I'd like to look into the admonishing aspect, admonishing aspect of discipleship. Uh, in uh, Christian 
discipleship uh, alongside uh, being taught, uh, Paul averts that uh, receiving admonishment or correction uh, is also essential. Both are needed. Uh, as we maybe look back on our formative years, whether that's in the past or maybe present as children or adolescents, uh, we probably as absorbed quite a bit through parental correction. Right? We learned about acceptable and unacceptable behavior in a family or culture or society. Um, I think Christian life can be understood in a similar light. Uh, we need to be refined um, as to how a disciple of Christ should think, should feel, should act. So admonishment, uh, rebuke, um, discipline. Uh, these help root out that which hinders us from growing in Christ. In the Gospels, some of the most uh, memorable discipleship lessons uh, involve Jesus' reproving and rebuking his disciples. Right? It wasn't a power play or uh, an attempt to tear them down. Jesus actually reproved them to help build them up. Right? I was thinking about uh, Thomas. Right? When uh, Thomas first doubted that Jesus actually rose from the dead, um, he wasn't there that first appearance. And when the second time, right, he is there when Jesus uh, comes to the disciples. Um, Jesus, you know, challenges him, right? Stop doubting and believe. Right? That was a reproof. Um, that was uh, a, an attempt to have uh, Thomas kind of come out of his mental uh, confines and put his faith, his heart uh, dedicated to, to Jesus. And Thomas uh, confesses in response, my Lord and my God, and he worships um, Jesus. Right? That's the first full kind of confession of the deity of Jesus, um, scholars say. And then uh, through that, Thomas changes, right? And uh, tradition has it that he was the, a missionary to India. A, a land, uh, the land of a million gods, I think 330 million, somebody gave count. Um, and he gave his life there. And if you think about it, right, through that correction, his confession was, you are the one true Lord and God. And he took that conviction uh, and um, brought it as a message to a land where there was uh, almost innumerable uh, gods. Even though I see it as a tall order, uh, I'm going to try to wed the idea of discipleship, admonishment, or training with belief in the resurrection of Jesus. They may not seem to be common bedfellows, as we say, but uh, interestingly, I think Paul is doing something akin to that in 1 Corinthians 15. Ergo, my title, resurrection proof or reproof. Right? So I'm trying to say that we ought to steadily reinforce our belief in the resurrection with more and more proof, more and more evidence. But at the same time, uh, today, think about the word reproof, and uh, the R-E there, which is a noun form of the word reprove, a synonym, synonym of the word admonish and uh, correct. 
So in a number of places in our passage, Paul's tone is quite reproving, right? even um, somewhat stern. Uh, he is, I think, a little frustrated with the Corinthians for entertaining a teaching that was not only incorrect, but dangerous, right? harmful to their spiritual lives. Uh, the Corinthians um, were flirting with, if not embracing, an erroneous doctrine uh, about the resurrection. Namely, uh, it was a proposition that the dead uh, are not raised. The dead cannot come back to life. So, Or you could say, once dead, always dead. Um, it seems that the uh, commentators point out that this belief was held simultaneously with the belief that Jesus, however, himself rose from the dead. So there's no such thing as raising of the dead, but Jesus rose from the dead. That was their incongruity. That was their logical fallacy, which Paul points out in verse 16, right? So he says, be consistent. If, if, if nobody's raised, then even Jesus um, is not raised. And so it's that wrongly held, wrongly espoused doctrine or teaching that Paul is really trying to, I think, uh, dismantle. All right. So he raises a number of arguments, Marshall's a number of arguments, both logical and polemical, to kind of undermine this errant belief. If you look in the uh, the, the next slide here, um, he mentions the hypothetical, right? Uh, if the dead are not raised, or or some a similar form of it, right? If there is no resurrection. If Christ is not raised, no. he he mentions it at least eight <laughs> distinct times in our verses. Uh, probably can't. Oh, the yellow highlights are very visible on the virtual screen, not so much on the physical screen. But um, it's all over the place in you know the first uh, seventeen verses there, and then uh, go to the next slide. I think the part two. Uh, which is even more at the end. There's three more references there. So this is big, right? Paul is really uh, needs to say something uh, here. Um, but th in my opinion, he's saying more than just, come on, you guys are wrong. This is, he's not doing more than just trying to correct an errant doctrine. What he goes on to say, I think, as you got a sense, as uh, Sam read for us, is, There's like a domino effect. Right? If indeed the dead are not raised, then a, a lot of consequences follow, bad consequences, right? harmful um, extensions right, can be made. And that's what he does. He's making a, a lot of, uh, showing a, a, lot, a lot of stark consequences for the Christian life that will hold if this particular false belief is followed. Right? So he's, he's rebuking them. He's admonishing them that if you guys non-critically acquiesce to this false belief, then you will do critical injury right, to your Christian walk. And I think that's why right, we need discipleship admonishment. It can be vital to our spiritual health. Because we can be short-sighted. We can be immature. We can be overly uh, self-confident. 
So we need the Apostle Pauls in our lives to protect us from harm, from our harmful tendencies. We may not like hearing it, like who does? Right? Even as kids, like we don't enjoy listening to our parents. What our parents say sounds so repetitive, it sounds so irrelevant, it sounds like nagging, it sounds out of touch, you know. We've all been through that, some of you guys are going through it. And as you get older and wiser, the less you won't, you'll tolerate from even your parents, even your seniors, even your mentors, right? Because at a certain age, a certain time, you no longer want admonishment, right? You don't think you need it. Even if you think you need it, you can't handle it, right? Yeah. It's tough to be corrected. Believe it or not, it's tougher to correct, right? If you're a good corrector, right, it's difficult to do it the right way. But I think it's part of God's process, right? It's his process of forming us, right, shaping us, molding us into the image of his very own son, Jesus. Right? Even Jesus had to learn, it says in Hebrews. If he needed to learn how much more, uh, can I say that we need to learn, no matter what age we are, no matter what spiritual uh, experience we have, no matter what knowledge we have. Like Apostle Paul is always, you know, uh, learning uh, that. So um, what I want to do is I want to organize my message um, to look at these three. I picked out three consequences as I read them uh, in the passage, right? In, in hopes to kind of uh, shock us, I think, into like, hey, we better be willing to take correction. We better be willing to uh, uh, be steered uh, uh, rightly if we're going astray. Um, in hopes to aid our retention, I, I try to build around the uh, theme of being dead, right? Because Paul says if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, right, if the dead are not raised, so if you are still dead, that's the sub-theme, strange as it may sound. Then there are a number of significant, significant things that die as well. Right? So if we're still dead, if Jesus is still dead, number one, faith is dead. Right? Faith that leads to salvation. That, that's a huge statement, right? Basically, right, Paul's saying, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead or that we will rise from the dead, then your faith is dead in the water. <laughs> it's useless. You can't be saved through it. So um, it, you see that in, I think, the first uh, verses 12 to 19. And then uh, the next thing we'll look at is that confidence. Right? Confidence in preaching, confidence in our sincerity, confidence in living the life that God's, we think God's called us to, Paul also kind of um, places that in dependence upon the resurrection of the dead. And th that point, I think, is intertwined with faith is dead in the first uh, number of verses. And then uh, last, we'll look at accountability. Doing what is right, being held to do what is right, answering to what God wants 
if there's no resurrection from the dead, I think Paul is saying, then accountability is no, is no longer applicable. And, you know, he ends with, yeah, live it up. Because that's it, right? Um, as you can see, these are terrible consequences. <laughs> these are, uh, spiritually speaking, unlivable. Right? So I think Paul is really placing this onus on we need to understand uh, the centrality of the fact that we rise from the dead. And so he is kind of hitting them hard, uh, so to speak. Okay, let's delve into the first consequence. Uh, saving faith is dead. I think Paul is uh, expressing his most strenuous reproof here. Uh, he dares not allow the Corinthians to stay in this mis misconception. So here's uh, Paul's argument. If the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, he remains dead. Therefore, so do we. Spiritually, um, that means we remain in our sins. As a result, our belief that our sins have been absolved with no lasting penalties, that belief is now vacated. The result, Paul emphatically states in verse 17, is that our faith is futile. Right? Is it futile or futile? I think futile sounds more emphatic. It's futile, right? <laughs> wow, well, that's quite the declaration even from Paul. Without the reality of the resurrection, Paul is telling us that faith is inane, it's invalid, it's useless. Basically, we're wasting our time. So, again, right, this goes to show how central the resurrection is to Paul's understanding of salvation, faith, and the gospel. It's kind of like, a, I don't know, I couldn't find the article that I looked at recently, but I did find a Wikipedia about a Japanese soldier, a World War II Japanese soldier named Hiru Onoda. On, yeah, Onoda, Onoda. Uh, he was stationed or assigned to this the Lubang Island in the Philippines. And, uh, you know, the war with Japan ended, right? Japan unconditionally surrendered. And so most of the soldiers, almost all of them were uh, kind of informed of this. And, you know, they went back home to uh, Japan. But it was a, a small group, I think five soldiers who were on this island together who would not accept that the war was over. They thought it was propaganda. So when um, I think the Allied like uh, bring down leaflets saying the war is over, you know, come out of hiding, right? Uh, they thought this was false, right? And so they kept fighting. They kept hiding out. They tried to commit some guerrilla, um, you know, use guerrilla tactics and all that. And so. Uh, they, the Japanese government then, you know, sent leaflets like by plane in the area trying to convince them the war is over, come home. And they thought that was, you know, false as well. And then the family wrote notes and they dropped it and they still refused to believe. The locals were telling them the war is over, right? You don't have to fight anymore. 30 years, this one guy, 30 years he, he held out. Uh, refusing to believe that 
<laughs> the war was over, right? Only when his commanding officer, right, the guy who had commanded him to go there in the first place, uh, actually, you know, found him on the island and told him, and they went through the a formal, like, you know, <laughs> uh, military kind of like uh, pro process to for him to be released of his military duty to defend the island. Did he then uh, go home? Right. He was kind of. I think you know. You could. I guess some would admire his loyalty, right, to the uh, uh, things. But um, just. I, I feel like in, in his <laughs> in his own kind of reflection. Uh, I, I must imagine that after 30 years of like living a lie, uh, living this uh, kind of tremendous, uh, <laughs> you know, um, inability to accept the reality of the situation, um, I, I wonder if you thought, man, I, I, somebody needed to admonish me sooner like that commanding officer should have showed up in a year or two or five years but 30 years uh, he went on uh, like this it's that kind of like I think Paul is saying right that if you misunderstand or, or mis uh, misconstrue the, the importance of the resurrection right and you keep like marching on you keep fighting the good fight uh, after your life is over, um, it's going to mean nothing because if the resurrection, if the dead are not raised, then our faith is uh, dead as well. Right. So, uh, for Paul, at least in this chapter, the resurrection is the hinge on which our salvation rises and falls. They go hand in hand. Uh, it was the confirmation, the proof that all that Jesus claimed about God and himself was not only... Uh, true but efficacious right without the resurrection we may have a powerful and moving story about the love of god through jesus we might even have been impressed with much of jesus's teaching and ministry but we would have no guarantee of life beyond this earthly one there would be no conclusive evidence that jesus was indeed a special servant of the lord right that he was god but the resurrection thankfully changed all that God demonstrated supernatural, unprecedented, heavenly divine power to raise Jesus from the dead. The resurrection changed history. It changed the moment. It changed the future. So to deny the resurrection, uh, it's due, uh, if you will, was to incur the ire of Apostle Paul. Right? He could not overlook the Christian disciple, the Corinthian disciples, heterodox belief about this. It would be too costly, and so he censures them with great concern. So this is kind of how uh, Paul uses the resurrection here to help the Corinthians make spiritual progress or kind of uh, re regroup uh, a little bit. All right, second a severe consequence if the dead are not raised. The second deleterious consequence that I want to talk about is um, the death of confidence. Confidence um, is dead. The confidence by which we talk about the Christian faith, that we organize our lives around the message of the gospel. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, 
he has to relegate his preaching ministry to the same dustbin of uselessness that he had to toss his faith into. So I wanted to use a, a, a broader word than confident, uh, than, than, than preaching, like confidence, to describe uh, what, what is lost. Right? It, it, it encompasses um, preaching, but it also talks about um, sincerity right? and boldness. Paul says that if there's no resurrection, not only is his preaching of it rendered a feat, uh, Paul's saying, I would be subject to the indictment that I am a false witness for God. Because he's testified assuredly about the resurrection. Right? To, to, to dedicate your life to something that you find out is absolutely baseless, that it's untrue, right? Paul's saying, not only have I wasted my time, but my reputation is shot as well because I said this is the gospel. This is from God. This is truth. You know, we're involved in kind of national or international or kind of cultural wars, uh, a lot of questions on narratives and fake news and truth and uh, truth in journalism, truth, it's just so kind of mind-boggling, um, the things that, that are going on, right? I'm just kind of worried. I'm already worried about it, what's going on. But, you know, when, when, when you really invest something on, some, on, on let's say, a, a person or a, a narrative or a, a, a belief, and you kind of go all in, right, put all your eggs in that basket, and it eventually proves not only to be wrong, let's say deceptive, let's say uh, kind of concocted, right? Uh, just the, uh, the sense of betrayal, the sense of kind of, uh, kind of um, I don't know, maybe shame, but just anger. I, I just, it's, it's going to be, it's, when, it, when it arises even now, it's pretty crazy, but like if it ever gets fully kind of, you know, I think kind of exposed or explained or, or, or when that comes to light, I, I think it's going to be like so disorienting to the person who kind of believed in it and, and maybe as kind of advocated for it or as an activist for it, right, so confidently. Yeah, so like, confidence is a, a real kind of sticky subject for me, right? Yeah, so sometimes, uh, you know, um, when, when people are, the more confident somebody is in something, the more, like, kind of, like, suspicious <laughs> I am. I don't know, it's just kind of my uh, approach to things, right? I'm, I'm like an eternal skeptic, it seems. Uh, especially when that confidence is, like, Kind of subjective. I don't know. Uh, I, I won't, uh, you know, o over uh, kind of delve into that. But just, uh, you know, it's interesting how um, more and more, right? We we see like 
uh, stories or examples, uh, situations where uh, somebody put in their life savings or uh, somebody uh, you know, committed themselves to years and years of, of, of um, involvement or uh, the willing, the, the risk that was taken it really be, it is shown to be um, you know, so sadly um, betrayed. Because of uh, the underlying kind of basis was fake or was something kind of so false about it. Right? Um, so we had some students over for a movie night and they uh, selected the movie Free Guy. Free Guy. Have you guys seen that with uh, Ryan Reynolds and stuff? And uh, it's in, in, it's a semi-cute movie. I have my criticisms. Imagine that. Uh, but it, it has some interesting aspects uh, about it, right? Um, I never watched The Truman Show, but Mona says it's like The Truman Show, right? Where the guy is living in a world that he thinks is real, right? But it's actually one that's manipulated and manufactured, just made to look real and, uh, you know, like that, uh, and so in Free Guy, uh, the main character realizes that he's not who he thinks he is. Right? He's he's an NPC, right? Non-player character. Did I get that right? NPC, <laughs> non-player character. Uh, but he's able to kind of rewrite code, and he you know he, he can kind of like change things, and so he becomes like a real entity or a real sentient, right? Artificial intelligence and all. So it's got some interesting uh, kind of perspectives uh, on it. I think there's some logical gaps um, there, but uh, just, you know, just if you're like Truman or if you're like this guy, that realization that all of your life, right, the, what you pursued and how you understood yourself and how you viewed the world, if it like just blows up, right, you are not who you, you're not who you are. Your, your, your identity or your um, uh, the way the world is, that the things that you really kind of held on to and, and that was so important to you that it just kind of it like collapses or dissolves, evaporates right before your very eyes. That kind of complete kind of, right, I think crum crumbling, crumbling, crushing that, uh, you know, you, you would feel. I think Paul is saying that. He's saying if the resurrection, if, if, the, if the red dead are not raised, then everything I've done <laughs> is not only kind of you know, completely built on, on sand, right? It's just a house of cards. But he has to question everything he's done, uh, every argu argument that he... That he, that he raised every every time he suffered for his uh, for his message. Um, it's uh, you know he, that's why he says that uh, he bemoans how foolish, how pathetic his life uh, would have been. That all that he had uh, 
invested and sacrificed in a zeal to preach the resurrection of the dead would be shown to be uh, a deception, shown to be uh, unsupportable. Yeah, that's why he says if we only have hope um, in this life, right, we are to be pitied more than all men, all people. Verse 19. Yeah. Again, just another, I think, uh, pretty emphatic aspect of how manifest it is to Paul that the foundational uh, nature of the resurrection, how foundational it is to Christian theology and practice. Which makes me ask, right? Uh, I, I don't think I... Um, Uh, do this, you know, I don't think about the resurrection all that much. Um, it's not that important. Here and there, I will marvel at it and appreciate it, but uh, I don't think um, things rise and fall. Right? My confidence does not rise and fall uh, based uh, upon it. Right? It doesn't matter much to me. How about you? I'm more swept up in the demands of the day and the desire to get ahead in my life. I'm bogged down with the cares of this world uh, rather than um, how the resurrection may impact my world. Um, as Paul points out, um, my hope uh, is kind of limited or confined to this world. So I'd like us to be aroused anew by Paul's call to be convicted of the resurrection's like veracity and impact. Right? That we find confidence in the resurrection, uh, this wild and incredulous hope that uh, Jesus lives and that we will live with him, that he rose from the dead, that he came back, that he'll come back again, and that when we die, we come back too. The third um, important thing that is endangered by the wrong postulation that the dead are not raised um, has to do with what I'm calling accountability. Paul's flow of thought in verses 20 to 34 is not easy to follow. Right? I think he's not only talking about Jesus being the first fruits uh, of the resurrection, uh, just as Adam was a prototype for all of his sinful progeny. Uh, Paul's trying to establish that Jesus is has supremacy in all things. Not only is he like first in time in terms of priority, but he's first in glory and authority and, and, and power, right? That Jesus' resurrection ushered in all of this. Right? So his holiness, his majesty will be ablaze for all to see. Right? So uh, the, the term translated under his feet means to put in order. So the powers that uh, are in life, good and bad, they will finally be placed in proper and, 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 proper and correct order. Right? Jesus is at the apex. Death, the last enemy, will, is at the nadir. Right? The result is the establishment of a final stable order in which the Father and the Messiah rule over the world. Right? In other words, uh, what Paul is saying there is Jesus will be master over everything. He will be Lord over all. Everything will be subjugated under his power 
and authority. Okay, that's the theology of what he's saying, I think. Practically, what this means is that we have to answer <laughs> to his rules, right, to his judgment. Uh, he's going to hold us account to what he's told us and how we've lived. There's no way that we can say, I don't know, I didn't know, or I didn't know who was boss, or I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Paul is saying, no, it's, it's very clear that the resurrection means that um, Jesus uh, is Lord. And so the time granted to us, the money given to us, the abilities, our lives that uh, God has given us, there's going to be an accounting. There's going to be some questions asked. There's going to be a review to see whether we have uh, sought to live for our own desires and pleasures and thinking or have we submitted ourselves to um, God's will, God's purposes, right? Jesus' lordship, right? Have we lived the disciplined life as defined uh, by the master? So what Paul says there is, okay, that's what's right, but if you deny the resurrection from the dead, then we don't actually have to worry about accountability because there, there will be no such thing, right? So if the dead are not raised, be sensual, be selfish, do whatever you want. Who's going who's gonna to bust your chops? Right? Who's going to like mess with you? when it's all said and done, right? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. We don't have to work hard or love the right things or even care about the right and the wrong. No more fighting wild beasts in Ephesus, right? No more uh, being baptized for the dead, whatever that had meant in Paul's uh, time. His I die every day, the figure that will be speaking, he doesn't have to do that, right? He can... Go his own way, he can do his own thing. Who cares what we do, what we say, who we spend time with? Bring on the bad company, bring on the, welcome the corrupting character. It's a free-for-all, and who can admonish you? Right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of caricaturing this uh, a little bit to, I think, to kind of uh, appreciate Paul's tenor here. He's saying, uh, if you don't think that Jesus is Lord of all, ult in the ultimate sense, then don't you don't need to uh, worry about what he says or what he taught or how he lived. Have a good time, right? Enjoy yourself. Uh, right? Maximize pleasure, minimize pain. One of the strangest experiences for me was uh, the summer between my high school and college where um, my parents sent me to, uh, to Korea for a few months to kind of hang out with family and also attend this, uh, they called it a summer school, right? The Korean government offered um, like uh, students uh, who, lived, who lived overseas kind of a return kind of program 
where they would teach about Korean culture, Korean history, and you get to meet other Korean students and, and stuff. And it was early on. I, I, I don't know. I think I've, I've heard a lot of stories about kids after I went, but I think I was probably in the first few years when, when, when that, that first started. I don't know where my dad got the... Uh, got the information, right? But I went a little, you know, not knowing what to expect. And it, it you know, there's, some of it was educational, but uh, most of it was just kind of, you know, lazy <laughs> expats, just kind of like, you know, just, you know, bored teenagers, you know, that didn't quite, most of, most of us didn't speak the language very well, but it was just kind of like, yeah, it was just it was a very strange uh, experience uh, overall, right? And and there was uh, there was these kind of like um, undertones of like partying and kind of you know people trying to get together and sneaking alcohol and and, and kind of like that. And there was a number of teachers, tortured souls, I tell you, because <laughs> they, uh, they they didn't want to be there. I'm sure they weren't being paid very much, and, and the students didn't want to be there, but they were kind of their 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 babysitters there. Uh, you know, counselors and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, they were, you can imagine after two weeks, they were really tired policing everybody and trying to keep everybody in line and that kind of stuff, right? The last day, though, and so I think some kids got disciplined, right? Some kids got, like, you know, they had to be by themselves. I think one kid got kicked back, kicked out, and, you know, they were always just kind of, like, trying to hide. And Anyway, very shameful behavior on our part, I think, on my part. But the last night, right, the last night, uh, when in the morning, you know, all the relatives were supposed to come and pick us up, you know, the prison was over <laughs> and, and all that. Um, the last night, right, you know, there was, uh, I think, you know, they, they, they snuck in a lot of substances and stuff like that. But it was, uh, it was clear <laughs> that the teachers were celebrating as well. <laughs> I think the teachers uh, snuck it in as well because they were finally rid of us. Right. I don't know why that came to mind, but <laughs> you know, th there's no more accountability. Like you know, the, the the camp is over. Um, everyone's going to go their own way, and they did their best, right? So, you know, eat and drink, right? Literally, for tomorrow, these dumb kids are gone. I, was was the I impression I got, and you know, at that time, being a high school student, I kind of thought it was fun. I, I wanted, I was like, you know, reveling in it myself. But as I look back, I go, gosh, that was a lot of. That was really sad. It was really pathetic, right? The dissipation and kind of um, just the, not only the moral bankruptcy, but uh, just the sense that, you know, it felt like it undermined everything that the, let's say, the program was trying to accomplish, right? That, you know, uh, Korea is a moral society and there's a lot of tr good tradition. I think, I think that's what some of the, the values that they're trying to espouse. But, you know, I can't remember any of the, <laughs> <laughs> the good stuff. I just remember that night of partying, right? That, that kind of thing. Yeah. Why? Because there really was going to be no accountability. Yeah. No one was going to say we have one more week left, or you know, we got to. We said we were going to accomplish these goals. They go, okay. <laughs> Finally, it's it's done. And I think Paul is saying, you know, if you guys really think think about it, if there's no heaven, if there's no afterlife, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Let's just, you know, uh, fall in line with the world because there is no consequences. Now, of course, um, Paul is, you know, shaming the Christians, Corinthians, and, and us, I guess, with the threat of this nihilistic worldview. But I think you, you can get that he's serious about this being very serious. Right. So 
let's kind of wrap it up in our minds as we uh, come to the Lord in prayer. Right? Um, let's examine our lives. Um, and maybe your faith in the resurrection is strong, but the consequences are actually kind of similar to what Paul is saying. Like your faith, it feels like it's dying. It's like you're petering out or you know, your confidence is at an all-time low. Right? I can relate to that, confidence being at an all-time low. Or worse, um, maybe your accountability is, you're questioning it, right? You're, you're letting yourself do things that uh, maybe you were uh, kind of fastidious about or, or disciplined uh, about. Um, I, I think it's interesting that these areas, faith, confidence, and accountability are often what I find myself needing admonishment in. And I find myself needing or being trying to pray about admonishing others uh, in this area. Uh, Lucy prayed that uh, God will make dead, uh, make what is dead alive again, right? So let's do that. Uh, especially as we seek to be uh, more faithful disciples of the Lord.